When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. pilot turns to me and he says, dude, you should fly. So so I reached around that pilot and I grabbed the, that bar that steers the glider. And, and that's when I realized that this was all a big lie that I've been telling myself. Like these things are possible. And, and yes, maybe sometimes things don't work out. But what really stops me, like nine out of 10 times is that I believe this is not possible. That was our new team member, Michael Harold, on Psychologists Off the Clock. We are four clinical psychologists here to bring you cutting edge and science-based ideas from psychology to help you flourish in your relationships, work, and health. I'm Dr. Debbie Sorensen, practicing in Mile High, Denver, Colorado. I'm Dr. Diana Hill, practicing in Seaside, Santa Barbara, California. From coast to coast, I'm Dr. Yael Schoenbrunn, a Boston-based clinical psychologist and assistant professor at Brown University. And from sunny San Diego, I'm Dr. Jill Stoddard, author of Be Mighty and the Big Book of Act Metaphors. We hope you take what you learn here to build a rich and meaningful life. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. We're thrilled to be partnered with Praxis Continuing Education here at Psychologists Off the Clock because we really value our own continuing education. And I know, Jill, you've participated in a number of Praxis events. I have. Praxis is my favorite. I think probably the most memorable was when I participated in an ACT boot camp after I'd already been learning and doing ACT for about 15 years, and I still got so much out of the training. I have a memory of Steve Hayes jumping off of a phone book to demonstrate how small your committed action can be. And sometimes I'll bring up that memory and use it with my clients. And that's probably from 10 years ago. The Praxis also continues to evolve and change over time. It integrates new therapies as they come out. It has trainings in compassion-focused therapy and acceptance and commitment therapy and radically open DBT. If you go to our website at offtheclockpsych.com and visit our sponsorship page, you can get a coupon for $25 off. So check it out. We've had a number of guests on the show that we've been inspired by and that are offering you, our listeners, discounts on their programs. If you go to our website, offtheclockpsych.com, you'll be able to find coupon codes for the programs of Dr. Judson Brewer, Dr. Rick Hansen, and Jen Lumenlen. So go check it out at offtheclockpsych.com and start learning today. We all know there are trade-offs in life, like having to drive a little further to save on gas or groceries, but when it comes to your health, you shouldn't have to trade off. So don't go back to that one doctor who's always late and rushes through your appointment just because they're close by or they take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. You can search by location, availability, insurance, literally no trade-offs here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. My kid's pediatrician is retiring this summer, so you can bet I will be using ZocDoc to find someone new who we all love and trust. So go to ZocDoc.com POTC and download the ZocDoc app for free. 
Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash P-O-T-C. ZocDoc.com slash P-O-T-C. Our sponsor today is Uplift Desk, creators of office furniture designed to help you work better and live healthier. I love my Uplift standing desk. It's solid and sturdy and allows me to easily transition from sitting to standing while I work with just the push of a button. The ability to switch from sitting to standing throughout the day has been a complete game changer for me. I feel so much better than when I sit all day, and it helps me stay alert when I get tired. In addition to standing desks, Uplift offers ergonomic office seating, storage systems, even walking treadmills for your desk. Everything you need to up your office game. You can get free shipping with no hassles, free 30-day returns and return shipping, and a 15-year warranty. Remember, by supporting our sponsors, you are supporting the podcast. Visit upliftdesk.com slash POTC for 5% off your order. That's U-P-L-I-F-T desk.com slash P-O-T-C to get 5% off your entire order. Are you all ready let's, for this? Let's, let's do this. Woo, okay. Total power. We have a very special episode for you today. Yael and I are here together to interview our dear friend, Michael Harold, who is talking to us all the way from Vienna. And he is a very special guest for a number of reasons. One is that he's a new member of the team, the Psychologists Off the Clock team. We're so delighted he started working with us recently as our content strategist, which is a funny title for him because apparently it's very difficult to pronounce. So Michael, how's your pronunciation going? It's it's better. I'm I'm now a strat strat stra- see see this is this is what happens all the time. Strategy. Like this is not a word that goes well with a German accent, but um I'm still working on it. Okay. Well and if needed we can always change titles just to make it roll off the tongue a little more smoothly. But we're so happy that you're on the team. Michael's wonderful to work with. And I'll tell you a little bit about his background. So he's a very multi-talented person. In a former life, he worked as an animator for films like Penguins of Madagascar and Kung Fu Panda, which I don't know about you, Yael, but that blows my children away that I know someone who was involved in those films because they love them. It definitely increased my mom cachet Yeah, I told them. <laughs> glad I, glad I could help. We're cool now. Um and now we're going to talk a little bit about Michael's career trajectory, but now he does public speaking around the world, including a TEDx talk, and he has spoken in front of parliament. He does coaching on self-doubt, confidence, communication, public speaking, and we're going to talk about some of these things later. Does that pretty much capture your coaching work, Michael? Yes. Yes, it does. It does. Okay. I'm primarily working around um, confidence building and getting people outside of their comfort zone. Because as you to know, like growth only happens when you're out there. It doesn't happen on your couch. So that's primarily the work that I do, like getting people outside of their comfort zone where everything is a little bit like anxiety provoking and scary and also powerful and beautiful. That's where I want to get uh, people. Well, we'll be talking about that today. And I would love to hear your thoughts about how people can do that. Michael also works for another podcast, The Art of Charm, and is also their lead instructor for their core confidence program and helps also with that podcast as well. So Michael, can you tell us a little bit about how you made this transition? You went from working in the film industry to this career that you have now in coaching and podcasting. How did that happen? 
Oh, this is this is a long story. I hope you you brought like tea and a blanket. <laughs> this we can we can sit over this for a long time, but I'll try to keep I'll try to keep this brief. And remember, I'm a public speaker, so if you give me a microphone, I go on forever. But here's the gist of it. So, becoming a character animator was my my big dream. Like this is this was one of the this is what I want to do with my life. And as I was going through school to learn this and then starting to work on my first movies and and series, there was also part of me that wanted to tell people how to go after their own dreams. And particularly I wanted to work with teenagers and adolescents that were living with a disability because that's that's my background i live with a disability um, spinal muscular atrophy for those listeners who are familiar with that for those who aren't i'm using an electric wheelchair and it was like it was so dear to my heart to show people how to go after their own dreams despite the limitations they might have and and so there i was i was living this amazing life traveling the world and at one point, and this was the, the kind of highlight in my character animation career, I was living in New Zealand, which back then like blew my mind to get the opportunity to, you know, actually be paid to travel there and then work for Nickelodeon on uh, the Penguins of Madagascar and Kung Fu Panda, the, the TV series. I can't claim to have worked on the movie. I worked on the TV series. And one day... I, I sat at the beach during my lunch break, which is something you can do when you live in New Zealand. You know, that's just <laughs> hop up and you, you go to the beach. And I thought to myself, like, why am I not doing this? Like my career in, in film, like this is, this is the peak. Like this is, this is as good as it gets. And I've been in the industry for over a decade at that point. And I thought to myself that I can take my life into two directions. I can either keep working in the film industry and I'll make good money. I'll travel the world. I'll work on these amazing projects and then I'll retire and I die. Or I can turn this around and I can start teaching people, particularly people that live with some form of limitation to go after their own dreams and not in a, Hey, you know, I can do it. You can do it way, but like, here are the steps. This is what you do and kind of be the, the living proof be the, the 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 excuse that people can no longer make because if i can claim that hey you know what it wasn't easy i'm not going to lie to you it's more difficult than you know for you than it will be for others but but this is possible and then at that beach i decided yeah that's what i'll do and i quit my job like 2 weeks later i came back to germany that's where i'm originally from if you can't tell from from my accent and i became a public speaker and then I started building my, my life around that. So I, I have a question to dovetail on that, which is what brought you over to Psychologists Off the Clock through Jill Stoddard is our shared interest in acceptance and commitment therapy. So I'm kind of curious. So from film industry to public speaker to teaching people about how to overcome limitations, how did you discover acceptance and commitment therapy and and you know, if you're willing to kind of go into why it resonated for you and how it changed your life, I'd love to hear that origin story. Oh, yeah. Just as much as um, my my work contract to travel to New Zealand to work on the Penguins was like the wow moment of the past life. Discovering acceptance and commitment therapy was the wow moment in, in the next chapter of my life. And, and here's how it happened. I I was living in Vienna at the time. I got invited to speak at TEDx Vienna, which was a huge event. 
And I... And by the way, just to interject, everybody needs to see the video of your TEDx talk. It is life-changing. So we will link to it, but I cannot emphasize enough how beautiful and moving and just eye-opening it is. So I agree. I agree. Everyone should watch it. <laughs> We're on the same page here. So, 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 so this is, this is what was happening in my life back then. I was, I was on that stage, which was a huge event for me. It was, it was huge. And at the same time, over the past weeks leading up to the event, I had seen this meetup that was happening in Vienna. It was called the Comfort Zone Crusher Meetup. We're going to get together. We're going to do some silly exercises to build our confidence. And I'll be honest, I was intrigued and I was also scared to, to go there. But I had this really great excuse because I had to prep for a TEDx talk, right? I can't like spend my Saturday there. I need to rehearse. And, and then I gave this talk and... After that talk, I mean, I was in front of over a thousand people. I got standing ovations. I thought I had this entire like confidence thing like nailed down. So the next week I went to this meetup and I thought, you know what? I don't have anything to do on the Saturday. I'll just see what this confidence thing is about and what I can teach them, right? Is this like speaker. And what happened was that there was like 15, 20 people that met in some guy's uh, living room. There were three people organizing this free event in their own time for no money in their living room. And it was about self-development. And at the end of the event, we would go out to a busy street in Vienna to do comfort zone challenges. And those are basically exposure exercises. Like uh, we, we had a choice of a couple of them, like high five strangers, um, tell a stupid joke to strangers, like photobomb, um, do the, you know, lie down in a public place, just lie down on the sidewalk. And um, as we went out to do them, and it's like, this is big, the main um, shopping street in Vienna with lots of tourists, lots of strangers, lots of exposure. And I completely froze. I was like, even now, just thinking back to this, I remember I came out of the tram, I saw the street, I knew that now I had to high five strangers and everything froze. Like I couldn't, I couldn't speak. I, I couldn't move. My hand wouldn't come out of my pocket. My hand was like, no, I'm not doing this. Like you signed up for this. I didn't say I would do this. And <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. Exactly. Like, see how you do this without me. And luckily I had this one coach by my side. His name was David. And he was guiding me through this. And he was asking me these weird questions. Like what's showing up for you right now? What's your, what's your mind telling you? What thoughts show up? And that way he like guided me through this. And I was at the end, I was high-fiving strangers. I was telling them stupid jokes. I, I high-fived this like three-year-old girl. And then the dad came after me. He's like, Holy, what's happening now? And he's like, I want to high-five too, man. I want to high-five too. And it was like half an hour later, I was smiling like all over my face. I felt so alive because on one side, I, I, I brought a smile to so many people's faces out there. And on the other side, I felt so alive because my inner critic didn't hold me back. My anxiety didn't hold me back. And it felt so freaking alive that at the end of the event, I went to the organizers and I said, guys, I know you do this every week. I'm going to be here every week because I need to get this figured out. I want this in my life. This is the most important thing. Um, you'll see me every Saturday. 
And they looked at me and I said, well, sorry, Mike, like this was the last time we're doing this because we're, we're leaving Vienna. We're not doing this anymore. And, and I said, okay, like this cannot leave my life. If it's okay with you, I will run these workshops. <laughs> I have no idea how, I have no idea what this magic is that you do here, but I have a living room. I have, I'm a public speaker, so I can at least do the intro and I'll grab some veterans from those workshops and I'll that have done them a couple of times and we'll like cooperate and we'll make this our own and we'll run it. And that's what happened. And the next week, this was happening in my living room with like 20 people sitting on the couch, on the floor, sitting everywhere in my living room. Like those people were sitting and I was standing there in front of them. I was like, so what we're doing here is based on acceptance and commitment therapy and it's exposure therapy. And, and it was like bullet list that I had learned by heart and I had no idea what I was talking about. And, and so this entire thing unfolded every Saturday in my living room with um, one and a half years this thing ran, except for Christmas. That was the only time we, we didn't do this. So like 80, 80 workshops uh, with over 1,500 people coming through. And, and this was how I learned more and more about acceptance and commitment therapy because I was looking into like, how does this actually work? How can silly exercises like that be so powerful? And acceptance and commitment therapy was the answer because it wasn't about high-fiving strangers. It was about what is your mind telling you as you walk up to that person to ask for a high-five? Because I can tell you what shows up. Your inner critic tells you, this is weird. You shouldn't do this. They're going to laugh at you. Your anxiety builds up. And then you can like feel that and you can realize that even with all of that coming up, I can still say, hey, can I have a high five and move through it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so powerful because I think, and this is what you're emphasizing, that it's not that you're not feeling anxious. It's not that it's not scary. It's not that you're comfortable. In fact, you're terribly uncomfortable, yeah. but you've decided that there's a meaning and a purpose and it's worth tolerating that discomfort in the service of you know doing engaging, living, participating, connecting. Exactly. And and that sounds like you you had this really transformative experience that really that you were open to and that you allowed it to really change the course of your life. It's it's really a powerful thing. It felt like detective work because I was I was the speaker, I was the animator. I didn't know about that stuff and then and then people came up to me and they said, "You know what, Michael? Like I'm doing those challenges every day even outside of the meetups. I go to streets and I practice this again and again and again. But I'm still scared to talk with my ex-boyfriend." Like, why does this not work? I said, like, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to look into this because I think there is an answer. And, and the answer that showed up again and again and again is that it's not about the exposure. It's not about the high five. It's not about the lying down the sidewalk, but it's the ability to sit in that struggle and do what's meaningful despite that stuff. And, right. and there were so many, like we built this community that was so like, so, so here's the story for you. There was this one young lady sitting on my couch. And as everyone introduced themselves, she said, well, you know, I'm, I'm really shy. I'm so introverted, but I want to be a musician. I want to be a street musician. And the guy next to her said, oh, we should talk because I'm here for the same reason. And then as we did these 
challenges out there. We saw street musicians and we approached them and say, hey, do you mind if like she sings the next song? And then we do let that as a group, you know, all of us like standing around and clapping. And a couple of weeks later, they would perform for the first time on the street just before the meetup in front of, you know, my house. And a year later, they formed a band and they're now Even If and they have two albums out on iTunes, which is which is crazy. And and the the magic that was happening there was that we're all in it together. It wasn't one person going through it. It was like all of us working on that. I love it. It's willingness in action, right? You're like, I'm not sure if I know what I'm doing and I'm going for it and it's scary and hard and we're making it happen together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we want to also go back a bit more to your your TED Talk and also your early history. And and one of the things mm-hmm. in your TED Talk is about your experience growing up with SMA and spinal muscular atrophy and how and one of the quotes from your TEDx talk, which I third the recommendation that it's a must listen. Everybody should check it out for sure. Um, and the quote is: "Things you will achieve in your life, you will achieve." because of your disability, not in spite of it. And I think you tell a really lovely personal story about that. But can you just share a little bit with our listeners about how your disability did give you a unique perspective and helped you Mm -hmm. get where you are in the world? It was, it was freaking tough. Um, And thinking back to it now, like I have so much compassion for that little guy who was other than was different than the other kids and who couldn't like follow along like they would they would walk too fast they would be too fast on their bicycles they would climb up on trees and I couldn't follow and um my my mother got remarried when i was 12 years old so my life shifted we moved i got came into a new school and this was when all came together like disability, puberty, like what on earth is that? What's happening here? And I was in a completely new environment where I knew no one. And I was scared. I was scared that back then um, I was still, I was still walking. I was walking in like a funny wobbly way. Um, It wasn't the fastest. I wasn't the strongest, but I still seemed air quotes normal. And I was so scared that my, the, the, the kids in school would find out that I had a disability. Because that was a big thing. That was a negative thing, especially in the in, in the German language. Like the connotation of disability is it's it's negative. Like slow traffic on the highway in German is called a disability. Um, and and there was this saying among teenagers that 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 TV show is totally disabled. So me like coming out and saying, guys, the reason I can't like play soccer with you is I have a disability was a no go. So I came up with all kinds of stories of why I couldn't do this and why I was walking in this funny way because I just twisted my ankle and it's going to be okay next week. And, and I was just living in hiding with, with a lot of shame. And there was also a lot of bullying because the moment you have someone in your class who is insecure, like that, that's a perfect victim. And, and so I went through a lot of bullying until I was maybe like, I switched schools and I went to what in Germany would be called like the the stage just before college, um, whatever that might be in the States. But I was like 17 or 18. And that was when I slowly started to learn to admit to it and ask for help. 
And when I went to college and I lived in a, in a student dorm, I actually had to ask people for help. And I was like, hey, sorry, I can't. Like, can you help me with this? Can you help me with my TV? And that's when I just very slowly learned that it's actually okay to, you know, air quotes, admit to this. And, and it's, not, it's not a burden. And, and only after that did I discover that it's actually a strength. It's actually a strength for me. And, and that is, that is the story of the TEDx talk and, um, the realization that those things that I did achieve in my life, um, for the longest time, I thought that I need to overperform to compensate for this flaw that I had. And later I learned that if I can go to college, to one of the best universities in Europe, if I can, do these, this and this and this and this, even though I have a disability, that's impressive. That's really impressive. And I know you, you guys had Janina Scarlett on a couple of weeks ago, and, and she has the same thing where she says, you know, sometimes people get up and they do their work. And sometimes there are people that get up and they do their work and they battle like five dragons at the same time. That's, and that, and that's impressive. And, and that was the, uh, the realization that I had for myself that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. And now it's time to get this out so that other people in the same situation um, would realize that too. But, but here's what happened. I gave my first couple of talks and I always thought I would talk to people with a disability. But what happened was that people would sit in the audience and they'd like wipe their eyes and, and, they would like come up to me afterwards and they say, you know what? Like, I'm strong, I'm healthy. But what you just said, I, I'm afraid too. I'm ashamed too. I, I struggle with things too. And that's when I realized maybe my message isn't for just those people. Maybe it's for the entire world. And, and so, yeah, that, that happened. This idea of not allowing the limitations of our body or our mind stop us is such a powerful message. And I, I just wondered if you could even speak to the part about the bucket list that you talk about in yeah. your TED Talk, because that is just kind of mind-blowing, actually. Yeah. Um, so when I was around 30, um, this was at the beginning of my career in film. I was at a really dark place. I was unemployed. I was living at my dad's place on unemployment money. So if you're like 30 years listening to this, you can imagine how, how that feels. And, and at the same time, my disability was like, like, I mean, it's still getting worse every year slowly. Uh, but at that point, like I've, I've really hit a low point physically as well. And, and just everything became exhausting. Like getting out of bed, was difficult, not mentally, but physically, like standing up. Um, cleaning the kitchen was physically exhausting. Going shopping, I would only do that when I felt like fit, when I had a good day. That's when I would do the shopping. And then I would be exhausted afterwards. And and I was so 30 years old and I was thinking like, this is it. Like this is this is the life I'm living now. And one so so there was this one morning. And I'm, I'm getting up and I'm making my coffee and I'm sitting down and I'm thinking I'm going to, I'm going to have a chat with the universe and I'm going to write down all of the things that I can't do. 
all of the things that I want to do and that I long to do and that I dream of doing, but I'll never, ever physically be able to do them. Like this is completely off. And I wanted to have that like written down so I can show it to the universe and go like, this is what you stole from me for no reason. And I wrote this list and I got, I got angry and I got sad because this is like forever, like not, like not even like try hard and you'll make it. It's like, no, no, this is not happening. And, and then I thought, you know what? I'm not living with that. I have nothing to lose. I'll try, I'll try this out. I'll, I'll give all of this a shot. And if what, what's going to happen is that humanity tells me you can't do this. It's not safe. You don't have the money. You're not strong enough. You, you know, this is not happening with your disability. You can't do this. I was like, okay, tell me. I want to hear it. I want to hear it again and again and again, and then I'll curl up and I'll cry, but not before that happens. And the, the, the biggest dream that I had in my life was flying in a hang glider. And this was a dream that I had since I was in kindergarten. And my dad had shown me this, this movie, um, Naushika of the Valley of the Wind, which is about this teenage girl that flies in this like glider. And I watched this movie as a kid, like every, every weekend I was watching and I was like, flying this is amazing. And I wanted to fly a hang glider. And that's where I started. And I started calling like flight schools and, and organizations and, Everyone who would pick up the phone, I'd call and be like, hey, you know what, I'm Michael, this is my problem, this is what I'm struggling with, but I'd really like to fly. And always it was, no, sorry, you know, you need to kind of run. You need to, you know, run a bit and then get your legs up and then, you know, jump off the mountain and like fly. And, you know, you, you clearly can't do that. And one airfield picked up and they said, oh, yeah, I think that's possible. Like, I think we have, we have a flyer that that's, that's going to work. That's not a problem. Do you have time on Sunday? I was like, what? It's like, what? <laughs> so I went there on, on Sunday. And I mean, it still wasn't easy. So in, in order to get into a hang glider, you have to wear this flight harness that's like super heavy. You have to climb through all like wires and bars to get like under the wing. And basically, like there were six people that saw that I was struggling and they all came together and they kind of helped my, my legs to go here and my arms to go there and and, and um, this was a tandem flight, so you're not allowed. Like, they wouldn't let me fly, you know, I hang glider all by myself. <laughs> exactly. So, so there was this pilot in, under the hang glider with me. And uh, we went up into the air, and we were at a 1,000 at a meters. So for you, for you uh, U.S. Americans, that's yeah, over, over, half, over half a mile. So, wow. so, but instead of numbers, like, you look down and you don't see people anymore. Um, you look down and all the cars, they look like you're looking at a, at a toy set and you see like these tiny white dots below you. And then you realize those are actually birds. And before you saw those tiny white dots above you and now they're below you. And, and we're up there and the pilot is flying. And I was like, my mind was blown. I was like, this is, this is happening. Like, this is possible. I had, I, there was no, there's no sound. There's no, all you have is like wind and, and the feeling of air like rushing past. And all you have is that little bar below you to steer. And the pilot turns to me and he says, dude, you should fly. It's like, what? It's like, what? He's like, yeah, come on in. This will be fun. You, you, you fly. So, so I reached around that pilot and I grabbed the, that bar that steers the glider and, and I started making turns up there. And, and that's when I realized that 
this was all a big lie that I've been telling myself. Like these things are possible. And, and yes, sometimes my disability will require to think outside of the box. And, and yes, maybe sometimes things don't work out. But what really stops me, like nine out of 10 times, what stops me is that I believe this is not possible. And, on, and, and what unfolded from there was that um, half a year later, I was in New Zealand. And I was working on these shows and I was skydiving and I was bungee jumping and dancing and, and surfing. And, um, how do you call that? That motorcycle in the water? What do you call that thing? Jet ski. Uh, jet ski. Yeah. Really glad that none of my friends had brought like a camera to film that, that endeavor. <laughs> um, and, and all of those things. And, and then, yeah. And then came the day where I sat at the beach and I realized I have a purpose here. Like I'm cheating the universe if I'm selfish and I follow like this film thing. I have a purpose here that maybe very few people have that they can go out there and they can make change happen. And, and with that purpose in mind, that was like, okay, you know what? That's, that's what the universe is kind of, I feel weird to talk in terms of like the universe tells me, but, but I was, I felt like, I can't go back and tell my younger self, you know, this is all going to be okay. And this is how you do it. But I can tell thousands of other people, like, it's going to be okay. And this is how you do it. It feels very driven by values, right? If going back to acceptance and commitment therapy, that there was behind all of this, there was a lot of, you know, perseverance and whatnot, but all for the sake of, of values of having meaning and doing some things that felt really important and meaningful to you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I was also going to say that you and I, Michael, have a shared fondness, and I'm sure many of our listeners do too, of Viktor Frankl. And he talks a lot about, you know, responding when the universe asks of us to do something. And it sounds like you were open to receiving that message. The other thing that keeps going through my mind whenever I hear you talking about your story is just how inspirational it is. But there's there's sort of like this connotation that I now have with the idea of inspiration, which was discussed in a past episode that we did, episode 91, with psychologist and disability rights activist Erin Andrews. And she talks about disability porn as a microaggression that we can participate in. And when we say, oh, it's so inspiring that somebody with a disability overcomes it, that we're almost minimizing it or, or using it in this way that yeah. just feels yeah. kind of really disrespectful. So I was just kind of curious yeah. if you would be willing to share this your is, thoughts on that and what your experiences are. This is this is such a such a big thing and, and something that I only learned about maybe half a year ago and that made me gulp a little bit, this idea of motivational porn. And I like the first time I became a public speaker, I was like, oh I'm a motivational speaker. And now I I I Hate is the wrong, no, hate is the right word. I, I don't like to be called a motivational speaker anymore because it, it's so much around like feel good in the moment and yeah, I can do this. And then, you know, the talk is over, you jump to the next YouTube video and you're on your own again. And I, I wouldn't always mention my disability actually when I talk with clients or when I do interviews and stuff like that. I mention it when it kind of is necessary to tell my story but I never go the way of saying, hey, you know, if I can do this in a wheelchair, you know, uh, what excuse do you have? 
even though I have to say that sometimes this is like a choker that I play with clients. And clients have told me that as well. They said, oh, like, how can I make excuses when, you know, Michael, Michael pulled this off? So, so I feel a little bit torn. On one side, I know that if I pull this card, like I take away your excuses, uh, you know, and, and then it's in the <laughs> yeah. service of you because now I'm helping you because I pull the rug out from under your feet. And he's like, you know what? No, I, I'm not taking that. Like, like um, clients who tell me, well, you know what? I struggle with dating because I'm too short. And I'm like, really? Like, really? You come to me with that, right? <laughs> really? <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah. I mean, like, this is not working here. <laughs> so, so in that regard, I kind of like to use it just because it has that extra power. But at the same time, it, it's weird for me to describe how, what the world looks like when you're using a wheelchair. Because you might go into an elevator to go down to the subway. And the lady next to you in the elevator turns to you and says, oh, I admire you for your strength. I'm like, really? Yeah, you don't even know my name. Like, what, what, what are you talking about? Um, so, so this is, this is a, a weird line to, to walk. Yeah. And I think if, if disability gives a, a foundation to your mindset and shows, hey, if, if this mindset works, even given a disability, it probably works in other circumstances as well. What, what I don't like to do is, pull this like a like, tear card all this you know what you know cry 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 and, and so on and, and tough 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 like the just do it that's one of my pet peeves like no that's not how it works you don't tell people to just do it you tell them how to do it and then you use the disability as kind of a proof of concept that hey if it even works in this situation maybe it's valid i hope i i, I don't know i'm getting sidetracked i, I hope i, I answered of- that yeah, I think of that woman in the elevator who said, what was it about, oh, I admire your strength. And it's like, for what, existing? I think it's different. Yeah. You're using it to like illustrate something the way we might use a number of other examples as well. It's a different thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you that as a strength, though. I, I always stand out. I always stand. I can't go to a party and be the guy that no one sees because I'll drive over your foot. Like if you're in the way, you know, I'll, I'll like ask you twice to please step away and then I'll just roll over your feet. So, and, and um, I can go back into a sushi restaurant two years later and they're like, oh, you're back, blah, 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 because they remembered that they had to move like the table and the chair for me to get there. So I'm always standing out and... I'm using that to my advantage because people are going to look at me in any case. There's nothing I can do about it. But what they see, that's up to me. If they see the grumpy person who's like, hey, what are you looking at? Or if they see the, the person that smiles and says, hey, I have a joke. What do you call a pile of cats? A mountain. And then they look at me and they shake their heads. And it's like, what is that about? <laughs> and, 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 um, and, a I can't wiggle. Is a mountain. Just... A mountain. <laughs> I was like, I catch that, right? Okay. <laughs> Ten seconds later, it's like, oh, wait. <laughs> it's like, what? Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Well, I just, I wanted to just make a comment about that, about your memorability, because Michael, you made such a huge impression on me. I didn't make the first POTC meeting where you met with the other co-hosts, but I watched the video and I was like, wow, this guy is just amazing. I, I want to be his friend. I want to learn from him. And I think it was like two meetings later, you were on a train. I, I had no idea that you had a disability. We were chatting and I was asking where you were coming from or going to. And you said you were coming back from the hospital. And I, I was so confused. And I think it was only at that point that I watched your TEDx talk. So you're not simply memorable for sitting in a wheelchair. You, you're memorable because you have a presence, you have a humor, you have a wisdom. And I think that is for me, what's inspirational. The other thing I, I wanted to, this is maybe an extension of what we're talking about, but you know, you really do know how to engage people to better themselves and to help others too. And and I think when you look at your history in, in the film industry and then as a public speaker and now, you know, teaching acceptance and commitment therapy, one of the one of the things that sort of ties those all together is teaching through story. And I, and I'm curious what you see as the central ingredients of a story that inspires and enhances lives. Hmm. Struggle, struggle. Like when I, when I coach people to go up on stage and give a talk, um, this is what I tell them. Like there needs to be, first of all, there needs to be a story in there. Like if, if you present in the, in the scientific realm or the business realm, it's easy to make this all about numbers and stuff, in which case, you know, five minutes later, everyone's going to have their phone out and, and check if there's any like, new notification coming in from Facebook. But, but if it's about the story, now it's more of that, oh, I'm going to be entertained by right now I want to listen. But, but to add to that, once we have that foundation of a story in, um, if you give me a story where you come up and you say, hey, you know, so I built this business and I have like $10 million here and here's my third Ferrari and and there's this and then the, we're doing this and 5 million people. And I was like, yeah, so how do I relate to that? Because you're not, you're on a different realm. But if you if you come up and you say, so this was a problem that I was having and I was really struggling with that because when I was in, when I was in high school, like kids bullied me. And they were pushing me over just to see how funny it would look um, of me getting up. And that was something that I was really struggling with. And then I came up with this idea that maybe if I fill in the blank, this could, you know, do something. And now you're like, okay, so I'm not... I I'm not struggling like this, but I'm also struggling. Like, look, the guy on the stage and me, we both struggle. Like, that's so amazing. We both struggle. We're both... Yeah, and surprise, like we're both humans. Of course, we both struggle. But but now um, I, I can relate to you because you struggle because you're human. And I struggle because I'm human. And and now we have that bond. And now I'm listening. And, and if now your story unfolds in a way that says, and I did this and this and this, and, and, and now look at me. I'm, I'm just, you know, buying my third Ferrari. Now it's still kind of the same, like really a Ferrari, like really, but, but it's that, Hey, if, if that person makes it through, if that person is where I am now and, and they made it through, maybe I can do too. And, and that is, and people don't want to talk about their struggles because it's scary and you admit to failure and fear and vulnerability. So you want to talk about all the successes, but that's not what you relate to. And, 
uh, one of my former mentors, um, he talks of the idea of, he, like he uses the metaphor of a Teflon pan. Like you have this pan in the kitchen that's so amazing because nothing sticks to it. It's beautiful. And, and we humans, we want to be like Teflon people where nothing sticks. We're so perfect that everything just runs off. But guess what? If you want to connect with someone, if you want to stick to someone, you need that scratch, you need that damage, you need that struggle. And then, of course, you're, if you do that with your Teflon pan, your bacon suddenly sticks to the pan. <laughs> and, and that's not really what you want. But with other humans, that's exactly what you want. So, so being perfect doesn't get you there. Yeah. yeah. And when we're telling a story or we're teaching a therapeutic skill, what we need is that connection because connection helps us translate information. It helps motivate. It helps connect to the larger concepts and the values. And and I I love that. I, I, I'd never quite thought about it that way, but, but yeah, struggle is sort of the core. And, and just from a therapist perspective, it's, it's an interesting question because as the therapist, we're sort of disincentivized to share our own struggles. And that is something that we do a bit of on this podcast. And I do think, you know, as a listener to other podcasts, that is what I connect to. Like when a host is sharing, you know, this is, you know, something that has been difficult for me or that has pained me in some way that your, your ears perk up and your heart opens. That is what connects you in. Yeah. This is, this is what, um, (laughs) what sometimes happens in, in, when I do my, my online training, which is eight weeks. And in the first session, I would like tell them, you know what? I sometimes struggle with anxiety. I'm not always confident. And like, what? You know, I signed up for this eight-week program and now the coach tells me in the first session he's not always confident. Like, what on earth? But yet yeah, that that's it. Like this is this yeah. is it. And and telling anything else would, would be lying. Like, you know, if 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 I if if some someone comes up to me and says, Oh, you're a confidence coach, I never struggle with that. Like I'm always on point. Like, oh run. Like just, you know, don't get a business card. Don't don't get caught. Con- just just run, right? That's and when I remember one of the first things I did when I became a coach was I wrote this like dream map. And the idea was that I got this all figured out and, you know, I never struggle again. And then I can coach. And then I asked myself, like, how on earth can you coach people through their fears, out of their comfort zone, if you don't even know what they're going through? Like, how on earth can I, can I tell you, yeah, this is scary, I know, if I clearly don't like I'm, I'm glad that i struggle with this I'm, I'm glad that every day there are still things that uh, you know make me a little bit anxious like jumping on this call because what i can do is like oh look at that like my clients feel like that a lot too and it's beautiful to see that that overlap like to, to get that glimpse into into someone else's world you know, this was the perfect setup because I want to move right into talking about some of these coaching areas. And I think confidence is a big one. I, who, who among us can't relate to what you're saying, right? That nobody, I mean, maybe a few severe narcissists out there, but the rest of us, you know, we're not always confident and yet we don't want that to hold us back. And I hear it from my clients a lot. They, they come to me a lot of times saying like, I want to be more confident. I want to, you know, have the confidence to be able to do this or that. Can you give us just a few thoughts about how you work with confidence in your Mm. coaching work? Yeah. So when it comes to confidence, most people use 
use the wrong tool to solve the wrong problem. And I think confidence and anxiety can loosely be the, the same, like the flip side of the same coin. So, so saying, hey, how can I stop being anxious or how can I start being confident? And, you know, in popular terms, it's kind of the same thing. So if, if people um, come to me and they say, oh, Michael, how do I stop being anxious? How do I start being confident? It's a bit like if, if you just started working on your pilot license and you climb into this like passenger jet and you sit in the cockpit and you look around and you go like, Michael, which button do I need to press so we don't crash? It's like, that's a good question. It's a good, good question. It's a noble question. But, but you're trying to apply a very simple solution to a very complex problem. And, and, and this is where people try to solve the wrong problem. Because the fact that you're anxious, most, uh, many of my clients will say, okay, I'm anxious when it's a business meeting, a job interview, a, a party. Um, so I'll use those examples. How do I stop being anxious when I go into a party? And, and the problem is not that you're anxious. The problem is that you're not going to the party. Or the problem is that maybe you go to the party, but you don't talk to people because you wait for that magical moment where the anxiety goes away. So, so that is, and that is not, I realize that's not the magic solution everyone wants out there, in which case I say, you know, try some alcohol that does the trick, but we all know that doesn't work in the long term. So uh, let's, you know, we're not endorsing the use of alcohol to become confident. It's another simple solution exactly, that can have exactly. some negative consequences. <laughs> the next morning, we're like, did I really send this text or no? Exactly. But then you have the next day shame of what have I done? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, so apparently, you know, you have an N of three here. Alcohol really doesn't work in the long term. So, <laughs> so now the question is, do you wait until the anxiety goes away? Or are you willing to learn to say hi to people? How do you? How are you doing? What brings you here? How do you know Jeff? Um, how long have you worked here? While you're feeling anxious, and I was like, yeah, but I don't want to feel anxious. Yep, but guess what? That's what's happening. That's exactly what's happening. So, so instead of foolishly and childishly hoping for the day where you'll be super confident forever, can you maybe instead accept that you know this is on the this is part of the ride with you and. Kelly Wilson said this so beautifully when he said, um, whenever you try something for the first time, then anxiety is the price you pay for admission. And we all are really, really good at living the life we currently live. We're really good at it. But the moment you change something, you're not the best person at that anymore. You're trying something new and you're probably going to make some mistakes. And that's probably anxiety provoking. So if you don't feel, if you don't, so here's my solution. If you don't want to feel anxious, get a Netflix subscription, get a PlayStation and get a lot of ice cream and get a couch. Now, congratulations. But now everyone's like, yeah, but that's not the life that I want. Well, yeah, then maybe anxiety is the price that you pay for admission. So, but to, in, instead of all the, now that I've lowered the energy, it's like, oh no. So here's something I like to tell my clients, like, First of all, we do a lot of work around like being able to live with the anxiety. So we do a lot of work around diffusion, acceptance, present moment awareness, all of, all of that good stuff. But uh, one of the things that sticks with them is that I say, can you do this 20 times? 20 times. 
can you go up to someone at a party and say, hey, hi, my name's Michael. What, what brings you here? 20 times, regardless of how it goes. Can you do it 20 times? Because what's usually happening after 20 times is that they'll come back and say, actually, I did it 30 times. I completely forgot about it in the end and I'll just keep going. And, and that's what they learn with those comfort zone challenges. Because in the first week, I tell them, well, you know, your homework this week is go to a public place. Are you listening? Go to a public place. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then lie down on the sidewalk. I'm like, what? I can't do that. And then everyone checks in and they send photos and everyone's laughing about everyone's photo they send in and they comment and like and all of that stuff. And then we do that every single week. And the next week I have them out there standing in the corner somewhere with their hands up in the air for no good reason. And the same thing repeats. And every time they come back and they say, yeah, you know what? The first time was difficult, but the second was easier. The third one, I didn't even, I had to push myself actually a little bit more. And by the fifth time, I really didn't care anymore. And like, okay, maybe, maybe it's with other things, you know, the same way. Maybe, maybe that's where it starts. And maybe that's not easy, but maybe that's a solution that works. It's like the, the doing instead of waiting, like waiting yeah. for confidence. Like, well, I'll do this as soon as I'm confident. It's like, you could spend your whole life you know, on the couch with ice cream and Netflix waiting for the confidence to kick in, but you're talking about doing it and actually just getting out in the world and practicing it. I love this confident, these confidence building actions. It's the do it part. The confidence may or may not come later, um, yeah, but that exactly. feeling it's like we can't just keep living our lives waiting for confidence to show up. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so, so we would like in, in the course, we would get together um, in the weekend for two hours and we do like exercises around say diffusion for example work on the inner critic and all the stuff and they practice some exercises around that and then send the guys out there for the rest of the week and be like every day go to a public place lie down but before you do that check your inner critic and practice those diffusion skills and then week two we talk about experiential acceptance And doing some exercises around that. And then go out there and stand in the corner with your hands up in the air. And then week three is present moment awareness and, and so on. And you layer and layer and layer. And at one point, like usually in like week three, four, five, someone will come back and they will say, you know what? At work, this thing happened where my boss gave me some really bad feedback. And then I realized it felt just like that day where I was supposed to lie down on the sidewalk. So instead of blowing up, I was using exactly the same stuff I was practicing for weeks and I did it with my boss. And guess what? Like I was able to do what was important, even though it felt uncomfortable. And then silently, I'm like, yes, I got it. I got it. Yes, that's it. Well, let's tie it to an example that's near and dear to your heart as a public speaker, because don't they say that public speaking is one of the most feared things like people fear speaking in public more than death or something. I we are I'm number one. Yeah, we're, I'm not, I heard the anecdotal evidence as well. I didn't read yeah. the studies, but apparently you're more afraid of being the person that gives the, the, the speech at the funeral than you are of being the person that's actually in the coffin. Um, yeah, so public speaking is, is terrifying. And I mean, for good reasons. You're, you're up on stage everyone's eyes is on you. If, if that's the point where you drop your pants or you realize you, you wear your sweater like, you're inside out, that that's the wrong moment to realize that. 
<laughs> so so that that is number one. Um, number two is you're probably up on stage because you have something that's really important. Otherwise, you wouldn't bother. You're not up on stage to say, oh, my name is Michael and I like like chocolate flavored ice cream. It's not why people go on stage unless they are like salespersons for chocolate flavored ice cream. But most people go on stage because they they have something really important that they want to get across. So if I screw up, 100 people are going to see it. If I don't get this message across, I will have missed like a major chance. And then three, everyone's recording this and it's going to be up on YouTube. So so that all of that together, of course, it's scary. Of course, it's scary. Yeah? And, and again, um, the way around that is, first of all, it's important. So I'm, I'm glad that you're a little bit scared because the last thing I want you to do is go up on stage and be like super, oh, I don't care. Because that's exactly when you accidentally show up in pajamas with your sweater inside out and not knowing what you're going to say next. And, and that's also when, when you put in the, the effort that's required to do it. Because while, while you're up on stage for, say, 20 minutes, have 100 people in the audience, and that gives you, what, 20,000 minutes of time accumulated that you could potentially waste because people sat there to listen to you. So I'm, so I'm kind of glad that this is something that is serious business for most people because it should be. Yeah, right. It's, it's sort of this idea that Steve Hayes says, you know, we hurt where we care. Like yeah. it, we're nervous because there's something really important about getting up in front of people. And one of the things that just to kind of go back to what you were saying in terms of like the practicing regardless, like practicing even in the space of being uncomfortable it isn't necessarily that the discomfort is ever going to go away. You just get more skillful at tolerating it. I just a few weeks ago released an episode with Sian Bylock on on choking under pressure. Mm. And for me, I, and I shared this on that episode too, like there's never a time that the record button goes on when I'm podcasting that my body doesn't have a really strong reaction. And, you know, I can notice my inner critic and, and sort of, you know, unhook from those thoughts or challenge them. And I can tell myself, you know, there's no reason to be nervous and you know what you're talking about. But regardless, that is how I'm going to respond. But if I'm willing to show up, even in the space of that discomfort, which is exactly what those kind of exercises that you teach your clients to do helps you to get more skillful in, then I can do it anyway, right? Anxiety is going to be along for the ride. Hopefully I can build some confidence and, and some skill in actually doing the speaking, but it's not in the absence of the discomfort. It's sort of alongside it. Yeah, exactly. And and another one of those eye-opening moments that I, I throw my, my clients often into is that I, like, I, I sell this by saying, hey, you know what? There are people out there. They don't have any fear. There are people out there. They can read other people like magicians and manipulate them to do the things that they want. Like These people are out there. It's like 1%. You know what they are? And everyone's like, no, what, what, what? I was like, they're called psychopaths. <laughs> I was like what? <laughs> it's like, so so yeah. I guess I don't want to be like yeah, that. Yeah. So oops. <laughs> oops. You. That's not good. Yeah. So related to public speaking is and and this is sort of like the reading the room piece. You know, people are stuck in their homes a lot these days and we're all getting a little bit rusty on connecting and communicating. And I'm just curious for you, what are some of your favorite tips for enhancing conversations and enhancing connection? There's sort of this idea of like sharing your struggle, but 
How about sort of on the other side? Are, are there ways that you help your clients learn how to deepen conversations to get beyond small talk or connect on a stage to, to people more on a, on a heart basis? Hmm. Yeah, this is, this is a weird time for that, isn't it? With, you know, yeah. this, this entire like uh, wannabe zombie apocalypse happening out there. And uh, Vienna or Austria went into their second hard lockdown just uh, just this week. So the the idea of actually going out there and having conversations with people is a little bit weird right now. So so I'll do two things. I'll tell you what you can do while we're all like stuck at home, and what you can do when all of this is over and you're you're finally out there. And, and there's a lot of overlap here as well. Um, so I found the pandemic in terms of social connection actually really powerful like this this how long has it been now that we're in it's like three years now since this thing no it's like eight, eight, eight months and i i met so many and i don't use the word lightly but i met a lot of new friends in this time like real friends people that i've never met i've never hugged but we have friends now because a lot of things happen online so one of the first things that happened uh, was that I got invited to a Zoom karaoke party. And I was like, "Wow, that sounds like fun!" So I jumped in. That was like March or something. It was actually um, Emily Sanders who organized the entire thing, and I fell in love with the concept of sitting in my living room drinking wine and singing like "Let It Go" from Disney's Frozen. My, my neighbors still hate me for that, but because, <laughs> especially since I haven't stopped doing it, but. Um, Should we ask like, you to go ahead and do a no, little? No, no, I'm, I'm legally not allowed to do that anymore. I'll, I'll go back to jail. Um, so no, get thrown out of the. Um, so, so that was something that I then started doing. It's like, hey, you know, all my friends get together Friday evening. Let's have a freaking Zoom karaoke party. And then my friends brought their kids, and their kids couldn't have birthday parties because of the lockdown. So they said, hey, mommy, can I have a karaoke party instead of a birthday party? And, and so that thing kind of grew. And then there were all over the internet, there were more and more meetup groups that kind of came out of this necessity to stay in touch. And, and suddenly all over, all over Facebook, you could find a meetup group for this and a meetup group for that. And we're going to talk about this and stand-up comedy here. I was like, wow, like I don't even have to leave my apartment for this. Like this is freaking, like don't get me wrong. Like I'd still love to go out and hug people and all of that stuff. But but given what it is, so many people have, adopt, have adapted to the situation by, by creating these online platforms, like the, the ACBS World Conference being all online. And, and, and this was so much fun. Like I could do the entire thing in my pajamas, which was, yeah. you know, fantastic. Um, I mean, I love, I actually love doing remote sessions with my clients now. And I have clients that I've taken on since, since March that I've never met in person. And in the beginning, I was really reluctant because I thought, oh, I'm going to miss being in person. And I do, but we still form a really meaningful therapist client relationship. And it's, it has some upsides. I can wear my sweatpants and they don't even know. (laughs) But yeah, except if you have to get up because you have to get something out of your shelf and you're like, oops, ah, I forgot <laughs> yeah. about that. Oops, you can see my sweatpants now, the real me. Yeah, But I think that really speaks to the concept of flexibility, psychological flexibility is sort of adapting, being flexible, figuring out how to connect to your values and changing circumstances. And, and the, as Diana said in one of the previous episodes, this pandemic is just like a huge exercise 
for all of us to build psychological flexibility. And when we do it with that intention of connecting to other people, as Michael is saying, like there's real power, like we can yeah. do it. We just have to be willing to, you know, adapt and be creative and, and lean into it. Yeah. So, so here's some practical advice around Zoom. Be there early. This is so mad. Like be in a Zoom meeting five minutes before it starts. Because this is, and this is, this is for like parties, for work meetings, because in the five minutes before the Zoom meeting, that's when there is no agenda. That's when the room is not full. Mm -hmm. That's when the small talk happens. Hey, how's your weekend? You know, because everyone yeah. waits for the meeting to start. And, and this is so underrated in its power because there might be a team member you only communicate with through email and Slack and meetings, but suddenly you have those five minutes where you can talk about the weekend or, you know, what's the, what's the flower in the background or did you do that yourself? And, you know, what are your hobbies? And, and it's just five minutes, but that's all that it takes. And then also like plan to be the last one to leave the meeting. I have like 10 minute buffer at the end. So, you know what we had, we had this happen with one of our meetings here. I'm not going to drop any names, but we had a special guest in one of our team meetings And as the team meeting closed, I was like, I'm not going to click on the end, leave and leave meeting button. And that other person didn't either. So we're chatting for another 20 minutes after the meeting was over, after all you guys were gone. And we're like, oh, this is really fun. Like we should do stuff together. And know. yeah, see, see, <laughs> this is the magic that happens outside of the meeting. I've never done this before. So I'm learning new tricks here. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah, I love that. So, so that's the, that's the digital stuff. Um, and in the real world or also in, in the small talk part in any meeting is that I see most people in their conversation, this is very tactical advice. Um, but most people in their conversation, they go what I call horizontal. So where are you from? What do you do? How many siblings do you have? What's your favorite meal? Uh, what's your favorite restaurant? How long have you worked in that job? Right. They go sideways with their questions. And that doesn't create vulnerability and it doesn't create connection because you're always staying at the surface. But if, if I were to ask you, Debbie, what's your, what's your favorite food? Are you I'm, asking asking, I'm asking you, I'm asking you, yeah. Sushi. What do you like most about it? Um, well, it's delicious. And usually when I have sushi, I go sit at a restaurant and enjoy the time and it kind of, it's like, something I usually savor and eat slowly mm -hmm. and see yeah. boom suddenly we yeah. went from a one word answer to us learning something about Debbie that she likes to go to the restaurant and slow down and have that entire ceremony around meal the meal and and this is where this is what people leave out in their conversation because they are so frantic to jump to the next thing that they don't bother to go like vertical to go deep and mm -hmm. and think about asking someone what they do for for a living. Um, most people don't want to talk about their work because they do it all week long. So on, you know, on a party on a Saturday, the last thing they want to talk about is their, their job as a dentist because they do that all week long, but people still ask that question. But now take it vertical and ask that person, what do you like most about being a dentist? And, and suddenly a, you go just a little, you're not going like fully Brene Brown vulnerable on that poor person. You just go a little bit below the surface, right? And, and by asking something like, what do you like most about it? That person suddenly thinks about something that's very positive and maybe something that that person has never thought about before. 
It's like, you know what? People come to me and they leave and they have a very brighter smile. It's like, wow, I never thought about that. You know, it's actually cool. And, and so this is, this is actually a question and all of you listeners trying this out, what you'll see is that people actually have to think. They can't answer this question right away. They actually have to think about it, which A, means that you've just asked them something about their life they don't know the answer to. And when they find the answer, it's something positive. What do you like most about sushi? What do you like most about being a dentist? What do you like most about living in Oregon? What do you like most about driving a Hyundai? And then it's like, wow, look at that. I never thought about that. But what I really like about Oregon is, you know, insert blank. And you, you conjure that smile on their face. And it's those, and, and it's not, you're not jumping into the deep end of the pool by, you know, going all the way to vulnerability, but it's just that little nudge towards, you know what, let's leave the surface. Let's talk about um, something that's just a little bit below the surface. Let me know something about you. Yeah. You're not asking people to bare their soul or their deepest, darkest secret. That's too much, but to exactly. get, go a little bit past just the superficial, the small talk. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, both ends to just go to a, a slightly deeper, closer place. Or once you're in the conversation a little bit, ask them what's the funniest thing that ever happened being in a sushi restaurant, the funniest thing that ever happened um, as a marine biologist, right? Or, or whatever. And, and the same thing will happen. They'll think for a bit because they don't know the answer. And then they'll start laughing because they totally yeah. forgot that day where they like walked into, you know, the, the, the dolphin part of the aquarium and, you know, something, air quotes, fishy was oh, going on. Oh. I was at a sushi restaurant and this couple was all lovey-dovey. And by the end, they were screaming at each other and left separately. That's pretty. <laughs> as soon as oh, you yeah, said that, that yeah, story see? just, and actually, I don't know if funny is really the right word. It was a little sad. We all laughed, too. so I think it's funny. I, uh, <laughs> if, 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 funny if, tragic. If, if that couple listens to the episode, we apologize, <laughs> no, but it sounded pretty funny. <laughs> it is exactly what you said. You asked that question, and I had this moment of, huh, and then I was like, oh, yeah, remember that? You know what I mean? It kind of yeah. like. See? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah to mind. I wanted to ask one more question about yourself. And there's a little bit of a backstory to this because Michael's a big cartoons fan. But I told you about my my youngest son, who's now four, his love of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I told you that he wanted to be Donatello for Halloween. And then you kindly informed me that that was a poor choice because Donatello is the odd man out. He died before the high renaissance when the other three Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, the fellows that they are named after are, are from high Renaissance. So you highly recommended that he choose a different Ninja Turtle, which he did. Mm -hmm. Michelangelo. Very, very history conscious. I, I like that. So he, he took your advice to heart. Right. He was very proud of himself. <laughs> but in the, in the exchange that we had about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you sent me some of the videos that you had cre created and I showed my kids all of them and they loved them. But the one that was their favorite was the video called When I Grow Up hmm. about a little kid imagining all the things that she could be. And they loved it. They watched it like 18 times. They kept wanting to watch it again and again, and they were cracking up. Yeah, make it go viral. <laughs> you, we yeah. should because it's really good. They, can we link to it? I haven't it. seen it yet. I'd love to see it in for our yeah, listeners we can. too. Awesome. It is so, yeah. so sweet. So the end of the video, can I do a spoiler? Yeah, for this? of course. You can you can Okay, do a so spoiler alert. The end of the video is that the answer to this question of what do I want to be when I grow up is that the kid realizes that what she wants to be is a kid. 
right? That mm-hmm. that's where the magic is. So I was just curious, in what way do you think that that's an important message? And how how do you think that you embody that idea? Ooh, okay. So a little bit of backstory to this movie, just to set the set the, set the environment right for this answer. Um, this was my graduation film that I did at the end of my studies on character animation. And so I, I studied this entire thing for like 12 or 18 months. And then in the final, final class for uh, six months, we would produce a movie. And we were told, like, this is a lot of work. Make this a, what did they say? Make this a 30-second movie. Like, no more than 30 seconds. Seriously, guys. So Michael starts, right, planning everything. And it turns out to be, like, uh, 60 seconds. And then they're like, okay, Michael, you can you can do this, but you need to take the last semester. You need to take that twice. It's like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. And then I end up with, I think, like a two-minute movie at the end, which took like nine months to, to produce from beginning to end or even longer than that. So so this was a, a project that I totally loved. And it was a project that I did while I was still in love with character animation. So there's no like self-development or, or acty story behind the idea that this you know protagonist wanted to end up as a kid. This was uh, Michael geeking out about the potential there. But I remember how I came up with the idea because um, I, I knew I had the idea for this kid thinking about what she wants to be as a homework assignment. And I saw a photo from one of my friends, I think on her website, which showed her as a little kid, like jumping into a lake. And, and that was such a magic, I think it was even a Polaroid photo. And it was so magical because it was that, that lightness that you have when you're a kid, when you don't have to worry about taxes and, you know, all of that stuff. And, and I was like, yeah, you know, being a kid is, is pretty freaking cool, especially since I went through high school. And I kid you not, my thought was, my career choice was based on, okay, being an adult is going to be boring, so at least I can find a job that gives me a lot of money. That that was me coming out of, like, high school, which is a really sad thing to, to do. <laughs> and 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 then, you know, came college, university, and all of that stuff, and, and the realization that uh, the world can be pretty fun. Like, going out of university... Um, now the options were like, do I work in film? Do I work in cartoon? Do I work in video games? My first job, my thesis at the end of university, I wrote around drama models in computer games. And I worked as a story writer in a video game company. And, and that was to me like the start into, I was 21 at the time, a start into a life where I realized, you know what? It's as much fun as you want it to be. Like that's, and, and the cool thing about being, when uh, I think the last time we had our call and I was on the train, oh yeah, I was at the dentist. I wasn't in the hospital. I was at the dentist and I was at the dentist to have a tooth pulled and I left the dentist and I was like, screw this. I deserve a treat. So I went to the electronic store and I bought a PlayStation Pro because I realized I needed a Pro. I just had the normal PlayStation. I wanted a Pro. And, and that's one of the things you can do when you're an adult, which is freaking awesome. And my, my living room table across from here has the entire Harry Potter Hogwarts castle built in Lego on the because that's the amazing stuff you can do when you're an adult and no one tells you oh you know when you buy a sweater that shouldn't be like a star wars sweater no of course it should be what are you even saying like of course it's going to be a star wars sweater like and and it's that i think i think 
I don't know where this comes from. I don't know if if like um, our culture gets this idea of being a child out of our system or if we feel obligated to abandon it or if we're ashamed to admit to it or maybe it just naturally leaves. But for me, being a child is like super important. Uh, like there, there needs to be, I just recently, I went just before the last lockdown, I went grocery shopping and they had those winter catalogs lying around for Lego, the, the Lego winter catalog. I was like, wow, this is great. So it's like lying next to me on my desk. And whenever, you know, something saves, something boots, something restarts, I'm like leaving through the Lego catalog because I can do that. That's, you know, that's the freedom that comes with being an adult and paying your own taxes and stuff. Sorry, I got <laughs> sidetracked on geeking out about PlayStation and Lego, but, but, but that's the idea. Be more, be more kid, be more Ninja Turtle. Well, and true to yourself, you know, you're, that's what you're into and you don't have to squash that just because you're supposed to be a grown up now and have, you know, boring old life. It's like you have something that's true to you. Yeah. And just to bring it back to act two, it's, it's sort of like, you know, if you do what you love and you find that joy, you're probably going to have some uncomfortable emotions that go along with it. But you also have the joy and how fun is that to like fully live and not to be afraid of having an uncomfortable experience. And to me, that 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 is a, a bit where it comes back to. And I think we can all try to do a bit more of that, have more fun, more joy in life, even if there are some things that come along with it that, you know, we might wish away. We can have the joy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Michael, thank you so much. It's been really fun. I feel yeah, like we could talk all day, but we'll, I know, we'll I know. wind down here and, and just um, really enjoyed the chance to get to know you better and introduce you to our listeners and really appreciate all the wonderful work that you're doing. How can people find you online? Oh, so people find me online at overcomelimitations.com. Um, you find me on Instagram at Michael underscore Herald underscore coach. Um, I don't do, I have to admit, I don't do much um, in the, in the social media world uh, because I find myself too busy building Lego castles and stuff like that. So you know, I can't be posting all the time, but that's the best way to, <laughs> to get in touch with me for all my core confidence work, the eight week online training program that runs through theartofcharm.com. Um, also check out, check out their podcast. It's, it's really great. And I don't say that because I'm co-producing the show. Good. It's great. It's they have some podcast. wonderful episodes. And you, yeah, pe- listeners who are looking for another good podcast should definitely check it out. And we'll be having both Michael and the Art of Charm co-hosts at our mental health summit that yeah. we'll be sharing more about in the coming weeks. Yeah. So, so you'll get a chance to meet them through our work as well. Yeah, that's and that's it. That's where people find me. And uh, looking forward to getting some some messages. Uh, let me know what you liked, what what resonated with you. If you have any more questions around the topic of being silly, Lego, Ninja Turtles, or confidence building, <laughs> that's that's where you can direct them. Thank you, thank you so much Wonderful. for having me on. This was this was a lot of fun. Thank you, Michael. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Psychologist Off the Clock. If you enjoy our podcast, you can help us out by leaving a review or contributing on Patreon. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, and you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'd like to thank our strategic consultant, Michael Harold, and our interns, Katie Rothfelder and Melissa Miller. 
This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you're having a mental health emergency, dial 911. If you're looking for mental health treatment, please visit the resources page of our webpage, offtheclockpsych.com. Thank you.